Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. The music in the background, which is still perfect for today's show, is from Ryan O'Neal, also known as Sleeping at Last. This is the music from his Enneagram 7 song. He has a whole series of songs, one for each number. Make sure you check those out and grab some of his music. He's so, so good. As many of you know, we spent the month of June going through the different Enneagram types with some friends of mine who came into the studio and sat with me and talked about their number. And we called it the Ennea Summer 2019. As it ended, y'all started having a lot of questions. And so I called in one of my favorite experts. I have a couple of experts that I really love when it comes to the Enneagram that I think you should be following. Ian Morgan-Cron, Suzanne Stabile, Beth McCord, um, Haley Watkins, which is Haley Watkins Enneagram Coaching on Instagram. And also this guy, Seth Abram. You may remember he was on the show a couple of years ago talking about Christmas gifts for Enneagram numbers. So you may want to go back and listen to that as we get closer to Christmas. But today, Seth came to answer a bunch of your questions you had about the Enneagram. Let me tell you a little something about Seth. First of all, he's a nine. But secondly, he's also incredibly smart and academic and This is a, um, we jokingly call it an Enneagram 201 class. This is not a 101 class that you're about to hear. This is next level. It's going to get you thinking, hopefully get you doing a little more research. But I just want to give you a heads up. This is kind of an academic look at the Enneagram, which I thought would be really fun for us since we've taken so much narrative through June. So here is my friend and one of my very favorite experts on the Enneagram answering your questions after Ennea Summer 2019. Here's Seth Abram. Okay, Seth, as we established two Christmases ago, Mm. you are one of my favorite experts on the Enneagram. So thank thank you you for all the hard work you do to know all the things I do not know. Yeah, thanks for having me. After the Ennea summer, after those uh, 10 episodes, we've had hundreds of thousands of people listen to them. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. And we have some questions. Okay, so let's just start at the beginning. We got a bunch of emails and a bunch of questions of people going, oh my gosh, I just can't figure out my number. I listened to all the shows and I still don't know. Or I thought I was this, but now I feel like this. Uh, How can people figure out their Enneagram number? Yes, it's a great question uh, because I do think it is important. I think you can mistype and then it's just not helpful. Mm -hmm. The information you learn about the one that that isn't you, right? Right. How can you learn your number? I think... First off, it's just understanding that your number is, whatever your dominant number is, uh, it's based in the mental and emotional habitual patterns. So it's kind of paying attention to what you pay attention to. You really Mm -hmm. have to notice and watch for a little while, discover the ways that you react. Uh, Kind of a unique and cool way to look at um, two different things um, to kind of help you figure out your number two. It's just an additional help maybe, but we're looking at sort of the intelligence centers the body, the heart, and the head, and how there is a sort of specific need and motivation for each one of those. So if you think of it, the eight, nines, and ones, they're motivated by autonomy and respect. Mm. That's what they're looking for in three different ways. And then the two, threes, and fours, um, they're after attention and validation. Mm-hmm. And then, then the five, sixes, and sevens are after safety and security. Yeah. And so you take that, I can go around this again, but then you take that and then you add 
this uh, Freudian psychologist named uh, Karen Horney. She said there was sort of three different styles of people. Uh, there's three different ways we kind of act in social styles, in social settings. She said there's the people that move towards people, people that move against people, and the people that withdraw. Mm. You move away, you move towards, or you move against. Um, so you can take that work and partner it with the Enneagram, and it's really fascinating. So yeah. basically, you've got people that assert themselves, people that withdraw, and earn. Mm. So you start with the eight. The eights are asserting themselves or demanding uh, autonomy and respect. Yeah. The nines are withdrawing for autonomy and respect oh, to have right. their own space. Right. Ones are trying to earn autonomy and respect. And they feel that if they are so perfect, others will not interfere with them. Yeah. So you go to the heart center. Twos try to earn attention uh, and validation by serving and doing thoughtful things for other people. Uh, and then the threes are demanding or asserting attention by doing whatever wins recognition and attention. Yeah. Uh, and then fours are withdrawing for attention in the hope that somebody will come rescue them and discover them. And then you move to the head center, and you've, you, uh, you've got the five that withdraws for safety and security. I will be safe if I stay away from others. Uh, and you've got the six uh, that tries to earn security. Uh, so I will be safe if I do what is expected of me. And then finally the seven. Demand. They demand or assert themselves for security. So I'm, I'm going to go after whatever I need to feel secure. You know, they focus on positive expectations and satisfaction and fulfillment. So I'm going to demand that. I'm going to get after oh, it. That's a great way to as you're thinking about what your number is, yep. which of those feels... Yep, makes it's kind of mixing... Which yeah, one it's makes mixing you cringe? The, it's mixing the Hornevian groupings, which is Karen Horn and I, with uh, the kind of the needs, the basic needs of the centers of intelligence. Yeah, yeah putting them together. So taking a test mm -hmm. and getting a number right then probably isn't the last step of figuring out your number. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, so a, a lot of the Enneagram is predicated on self-awareness mm -hmm. and the test kind of... You don't really need to be all that self-aware because you can kind of pick and choose options that mm -hmm. you might feel like you would be in this, you mm -hmm. know. So, yeah, the test, the test, I think, gets you to a point. Yeah. But I wouldn't stop there because a lot of people, they don't realize that they're not all that self-aware to be quite blunt sure. about it. Keep being blunt. You're a nine. Your yeah. bluntness is rare. So I can do be, it. I can be blunt. I know. You, I like yeah. that about you. Here You're a go. very healthy nine. You're one of my favorite <laughs> people. I know. Um, okay. So what should they, what else should they do? Um, you know, I would look at especially some of the older authors. So much of the the content out there right now is just mimicked or just, you know, redone versions of the first books that came out. Mm -hmm. And I would add quite poorly sometimes. But I would look at some of the initial authors that were writing out there, you know, when so the Enneagram was first the way presented. Up, who is it? Um, it's people like Jerome Wagner. He's a Chicago guy. If you like Chicago, maybe that's your thing. <laughs> that's uh, your pizza type. Yeah. You're a deep yeah. dish. <laughs> Guys like him, um, Helen Palmer, yeah. she's she's super unique and fascinating. And Her one on um, relationships and work is my favorite mm. on relationships and work. Yeah. Right? That's it. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah, Enneagram and relationship and work. Yep. And love and work. Yep. Yeah, cool. a lot of these books, uh, though, tend to be pretty massive. And mm -hmm. so if you're looking for something simple and light and more to the point, there was a psychologist named uh, David Daniels. Mm -hmm. He was actually a professor at... Uh, Stanford University, and the first guy that was to that brought the first Enneagram uh, conference to Stanford University, and he's just brilliant. He's got a book called The Essential Enneagram. It's ah, really yeah. simple. It's really great. There's actually a test in there, but it's different. But I would also look at um, just a a small, simple book, maybe from Jerome Wagner, The Introduction of the Enneagram. Okay, it's really great. But just these, you know, these premier authors that were first started writing about the Enneagram. Okay, Riso and Hudson. 
tell the story of the which guy Riso that didn't Hud- know his time. Yes, Hudson. Oh, sorry. Hudson. Yeah, Don Richard Riso and Russ Hudson, two different yeah. guys. Sometimes people think they're the same person. Right, right. Riso Hudson. Understandably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, when you like learn about when you do the deep dive study into the Enneagram like you've done, mm-hmm. those Riso and Hudson are kind of the experts. A lot of people would say like they're the top level. Absolutely. Yeah. Don Richard Riso is no longer with us. Uh, okay. he, he he passed away from cancer, I believe, years ago. But yeah, Russ Hudson, they are definitely Hudson especially is kind of one of the premier thought leaders and teachers in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Is this yeah. where I get to brag that you got to go to like a super small class with him? <laughs> yeah, at the Enneagram I've, Institute. Uh, I had not at the Enneagram Institute in Chicago. I, I did go to uh, a little two or three day workshop with him and another guy named Tom, Tom Condon, and uh, our friend Creekmore yeah. was there with me. Yeah, so I, everybody yeah. loves Creekmore. He wrote the song that goes with the book "Remember God." Yes, and that's everybody right. loves that song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, it's a funny story. I was in uh, California recently uh-huh. at the International Enneagram Association Global Conference, and I was passing. I was walking the street and Russ Hudson is there because he's, you know, he would be there. Right. And he stops, which kind of takes me by surprise. And I, and he asks me a few questions and he says, where do I know you from? And I said, um, I don't know. And he says, Chicago. And I, and I realized, oh, no, he remembers the most awkward hug I ever gave in my life. Really? You That's gave what it, it was. <laughs> is that what he remembered? Did yes. you ask him? I didn't <gasps> ask him because I was afraid so to ask him. I don't know if he remembers that. Oh, I mean, how else would he would he what remember? He teaches what did you do? thousands did you and thousands of people right? every year. What'd you do? Oh my gosh! I, it was just like an awkward, sort of an awkward conversation, and then for some reason, I just went in instinctively. It's time to hug this guy, and I don't know why. And yeah. it, oh my gosh! <laughs> what is this? It's weird. <laughs> and then Creekmore right behind me followed in my footsteps. Oh, and he he did it too. too. Yeah. And we walked away like, "What just happened? That was so <laughs> weird." <laughs> It was amazing. Anyway, oh, I saw him so recently, good. and that's what I thought of. And okay, tell the story yeah. about him figuring out his enneagram <laughs> number. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we so we so instantly want to know what our number is, right? But it takes time and it takes uh, effort and paying mm-hmm. attention to what you pay attention to, like I said earlier. But Russ Hudson, this dude, that's like the, one of the best enneagram teachers in the world. Uh, he first thought he was a four. Uh, for the first two years, and mm. it took him two years to realize he was a five. Oh wow! So you might you might Give think some time. Yeah, you might yeah. think you're even solid on a number, but yeah, I would hold it loosely. Yeah, because again, so many people type themselves based on behavior, mm. and you've probably heard it, and it's been said many times. But this is motivation only. Yeah, you can't you can't see motivation, which is why it's tricky. But I said to someone, and we, there were a bunch of us in an elevator the other day talking about the enneagram. And I said, we all could do the exact same thing. If this elevator stopped, we could all do the exact same thing. And we all have different motivations behind why we're doing it. And that's the difference with the Enneagram. Totally. Is that it helps you understand your motivations Mm -hmm. behind it. Um, Also, I just want to let everybody know that all the books you list and all the resources you list, we will have on AnnieFDowns.com. And you can go and and find all those there. So y'all can be taking notes while you're listening to Seth, but also Mm -hmm. just know we'll... Detective Jenna will also have the list for you. Detective um, Jenna. With links straight to, if we can find him. Uh, Seth, let me jump in here too. So there's a lot of freedom to figuring out your Enneagram number. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, you've got time. There is no rush. Pay attention to who you are. Maybe ask your friends and family who who knows know you really well some things. Would you do that? Would you have people invite their people in? Um, yeah. I mean, again, behavior is so environmental. Is dependent on who you're around. Ah, uh, sure. So, 
you can. <laughs> yeah, because your family may see you behave totally different than. Yeah. And they yeah. do. They see totally different things than the rest and of the world. And family tends to be the place where you feel secure. So you, you might actually be showing some of your secure number. Uh-huh. And we'll maybe get into a little bit of that. Yeah. It's because it's not as black and white as what the initial books were writing about. But right. But yeah, yeah, like I might act and look a little bit more three-ish in my secure places. So yeah. Yeah. And anger is just more okay at home Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's with other people that no one else will see me angry you know so i think friends can help you can help guide you but i i wouldn't entrust everything to them either you gotta look at your own motivations yeah yourself so let's talk about wings yes so one thing i see sometimes where people are emailing us or people say to me online is i'm a seven with a two wing Mm -hmm. because those are the top two scores they got when they took a test right how do you actually find your wing so the majority of the enneagram world does think that your wing is the number that's directly to the left or to the right of your dominant number. Right. So as as somebody who identifies with the nine patterns, I would have either an eight wing or a one wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like a bird attached to its wings. You got to be attached. Exactly. They yeah. got to be next to you. Yeah. Yeah. So you um, can't be a seven with a two wing. You're a seven with an eight wing or a seven with a six wing. Why do wings matter? How do why? you figure it out? How do you figure it out? Can't you? I mean, someone asked, why do I have to? Why do I have to be an eight with a nine wing? Why can't I just be an eight? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can be. So I tend to think that the wings are, they're, they're just additional behavior and sort of flavoring to your dominant number. Um, so I really think that uh, early in childhood, there are additional behaviors that we learn to take on um, in order to get our, our mm-hmm. dominant numbers needs met. Mm-hmm. So maybe a seven might have had a eight parent. And so eight behavior was important because that's the kind of the uh, the cognitive bias that the eight had. And so this is what my world looks like. And so I need to act a little eight-ish mm. in order to please my parent, you know, or to be loved by them. And yeah. so a seven might have a pretty strong wing if they, if they have an eight parent. And that's not like black and white, but that's an example of how, yeah. where some of that stuff could come from, where the wings could come from. Can you Does have both sense? wings? Yes, I, yeah. I do think so. I think... I think it's not as black and white as some of the content out there has talked about. And like I think you are a seven wing eight or you are yeah. a four wing three. It's not quite that. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think that you can access both of them, but maybe one of them is more accessible mm-hmm. d- depending on the situation still, though. Yeah. But I would I would recognize that I probably have more of a one wing, but but in different situations, maybe less of them. There is an eight wing for me for sure. Yeah. But does it matter that we figure out wings? Does it? Why does it matter? I feel like you are way more into subtypes than wings. Yeah, some teachers really don't put a lot of value or effort into teaching them anymore. Some people think they're really important. I actually sat next to the guy at this International Enneagram Association Global Conference. I keep saying way too many words with that. It's just the IA conference. Yeah. This guy named Patrick uh, O'Leary. He was the he was a Jesuit priest who wrote the first Enneagram book. No, you sat next to him? It was awesome. Yeah, no kidding. I was you like, talk to I him? was like, dude. You <laughs> Did you know who know? he was? You don't even know I'm such a fan. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I did know who he was because yeah. I just, I have this tendency of recognizing everybody that yeah. is important to me. Yes. Yeah, that's the the sexual instinct. Yes. Okay, we'll talk about into. that for a second. Because that is another. So we, okay, so we've talked about our main number. Yes. We've talked about the wing idea and what it looks like. It's kind of, it, the big point I want people to take away is it's on either side of you. Yes. It can't just be anywhere on your circle. Just because you score high on two numbers doesn't mean those are your wings. Your wings are on either side of you. Yes. Yeah. And let me just say, too, though, that um, a lot of the content in the in the early books were just ideas, 
And as we've practiced them in coaching or in therapy or in teaching and real life experiences, we begin to see what is accurate and what quite maybe isn't uh, or what's not as black and white and what's kind of you got to hold loosely because sure. we're human beings who you can't right. pin down. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I do tend to think, though, that for at least from my experience and from reading and from watching people that maybe you start with, on average, maybe you start with one wing and as you continue to grow and uh, advance and become less attached to the needs mm-hmm. of your number or identified with them, you probably maybe do take on the next, the other wing. Because mm. they're, they're called wings because technically they're supposed to help you fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. They're sort of help you, helping you balance yeah. out. Yeah, so like as a center. seven, I lean on my eight to run my company, to do business. To that's People always say, I get emails all the time or tweets or whatever, like, how are you a seven and you finish writing books? Yeah. Like, how do you finish anything? And it's because I really lean on my eight challenger. Totally. I can climb a mountain and put a flag on it. Yeah. I'm just going to, I just need to know that when I put the flag on it, I get to have a party. Totally. I'm also just a, not a fan of that though. Cause that's, that's still, a, in my opinion, a stereotypical question. Uh huh. Like not seven, all sevens are non-committal. For sure. Not at For all. Sure. That's not, not at, at all. all I'm incredibly true. committal. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's, a, and, and, you, and you might bring in the six wing, which is about, about commitment, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it, that's about the level of uh, how entranced you are in your, your time. Yeah. And know? I think that's one of the things I like about the way you talk about the Enneagram is you don't let us just fall on the easy. All the threes mm-hmm. are this, all the twos are this, yeah. every eight is this besides, totally. I, I mean, those Instagram accounts are funny yeah. that do all those things, but they're really simplifying and they're sometimes simplifying. incorrectly simplifying yeah. who we are. They can get you, they can sort of slightly uh, in a weird way, introduce you to the Enneagram, but goodness, they can sure limit your understanding. Mm. I think but they are um, pretty funny, Seth. Yeah, they are funny. You're okay. right. Okay. Yeah, and I try not to be judgmental. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, they're ruining funny. your craft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, t- a lot of times you gotta kind of have to deconstruct the ideas that people have of the Enneagram. Yeah, because it's because that is hard for me that people assume sevens are non-committal. Yeah, and that sevens are flaky because I'm like, no, I'm always on time. Yeah, I am really responsible human. Totally, but I'm fun. Yep, and I get it. Yep. Okay, talk about subtypes. Yes, yeah, so I might touch on this just for a little bit longer. Yeah, than go. Some of the other questions, but uh, because a lot of people are asking, like the subtype question was, some of your guests mentioned self-preservation, social, and sexual subtypes. Can you explain these a little more? And to me, this is like next level Enneagram that people can, if they want to dig into this, this is a fun next thing to dig into, but definitely kind of have your, spend some time on figuring out your number first. Yeah. 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 I I would say it's, it's maybe easier to figure out your number than it is your, your instinct. And when you mean instinct is another way to say subtype. Yes. Sorry. Uh, So I'll, I'll address that here. Uh, So basically I do think it's important to decipher the difference between your instinct and your subtype. Oh, Okay. You gotta see. You gotta actually kind of see and understand the instincts by themselves, okay. without mixing it with your number, okay. in order to really understand what an actual subtype looks like. So basically, ah. instincts are three different biological survival drives that everybody's born with that corn, that kind of uh, come into play early in childhood, one mm-hmm. at a time. Or, or do we kind all of have all three of them? Yes, everybody's got okay. all three of them. Okay. Um, but then the subtype is when you add your number or actually more accurately, your the passion of your number, your mm-hmm. obscured or your mm-hmm. conditioned heart with the instinct. Yeah. So tell me the three instincts. That's yes. the three I just said. Yes. Self-preservation, social, and sexual. And what do they mean? 
Yes. So the self-preservation instinct or the preserving instinct, it's people who have this as a dominant instinct tend to be instinctively attuned to issues relating to resources and well-being and safety and health and, and our physicality, really. So it's okay. it's it's about preserving, yeah. preserving things, it's preserving myself. Preserving yourself. But yeah. it can also be in preserving like pictures and preserving things that are important to me so that I can come back to them. Okay. Um, so what about social? Social. Um, I... I'm believing I'm getting this correctly. Actually, the progression that they oh, come into play, yeah. with the next one would be um, sexual, actually. Okay. Uh, and I know people tend to be like, yeah, a little sexual. Right. It doesn't mean like uh, sexual, like sexual. Yeah. Well, it can it? be. Uh, let me, yeah, it yeah, could be. Okay. So, uh, I mean, people with a dominant uh, sexual instinct, some people call it transmitting or attraction instinct, or one-to-one is one probably to the one. most yeah. preferred because it doesn't sound as... Sexual? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, but people with this dominant uh, instinct uh, tend to be instinctively attuned to understanding how to position themselves and be noticed by others. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's sometimes it is actually about passing on DNA, mm-hmm. uh, but I think even more symbolically, it's about passing on ideas and leaving a legacy. So these these uh, people with this instinct tend to focus. With, with leading with this instinct, everybody has all three of these. People with this uh, dominant instinct tend to focus on intensity of experiences and one-to-one relationships, and, uh, and it sort of drives us to actively seek out opportunities that promise strong energetic connections yeah. with other people. And that w- that's what you are? This is me, yeah. yeah there, me too. there tends to be more of, there can be intensity yeah. to these to these to this version of the number mm-hmm. than the okay. other ones. Okay. Yeah. So self-preservation, we all have. We all have one-to-one sexual, and we all have the third one, which is social. social. Yep. Yeah, the social. Oh, so it's very like uh, self-preservation is you. Sexual one-to-one is two people-ish, mm-hmm. somewhere in that. And then social is how you treat everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, ah, it's sort of uh, three, the... like a pyramid. Yeah, you can, you can see it that way. Ah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to tease it out a little bit because it they can start to look like they are overlapping, and you can, it can be a little confusing. But um, yeah, that is a, it's a good way to say it. I'm sort of I am my body. I am my physicality. Yeah. I am my closest uh, intense relationship, and I am my social standing. Got it. I okay. am my group. So explain. Yeah. Explain social to us. Yeah. Uh, so people with a dominant social instinct are uh, instinctively attuned to issues of hierarchy, identity, status, okay. social norms, uh, and interpersonal relationships. Okay. So there, there does tend to be a, a high social awareness. But these, these people kind of focus their energy on working towards a shared purpose. Mm. And uh, I, I think a greater good kind of, you know, this collectiveness mm-hmm. that we have. Yeah. So uh, to continue on with that, with the idea of subtypes and the, the sort of deciphering the difference between instinct and subtype, one thing that Claudia Naranjo addresses is uh, you can sort of discover your dominant instinct by learning where your passion is most active. Okay. Give me an example. Yeah. So passions, briefly, you know, you got resentment. This is your conditioned heart. This is when you're not present to your heart and it's showing up as the impairment. And so each number has yes. It's how your heart so shows mine up. Is fear. Your yours would be gluttony. Glut- oh yeah. Okay. So, but, it's a, yeah, yeah. But let me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're right. But I would say it's it's helpful to understand that gluttony is a derivation of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm scared. It's I'm a take run out. on fear. Yeah. Yes. All the passions are are the way that you're not present to your heart and how your heart is uh, distorted, mm. basically. Or you're, you're it's you're kind of experiencing the the impairment of fear. 
So you can you buzz you through manage, the nine uh, the nine passions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the uh, resentment for the one. So it's sometimes anger, but it's I think it's more accurately resentment. Two is pride. Three is vanity or deceit. Uh, four is envy. Five is avarice. Avarice is a fun old word, but it's just sort of a greed withholding of myself mm-hmm. and my time. Um, six is fear. More accurately, I think anxiety is the impairment mm-hmm. of fear. Um, gluttony, which is not food related. It could be. Uh, that might be more self-preservation. might not be, but that's more... I'm how all would of you anything. describe it? I'm, I'm all curious. of anything. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. All, I want to try everything. It's an insatiable need for all of it, more of and it. more. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't I can't get a fill. I can't get I enough can't get time enough. with you. Yeah. I can't get enough mm-hmm. to... I can't get enough food experiences. I yep. can't get enough movies to watch. I can't get enough baseball. I totally. can't get enough soccer. Yeah, I just can never get enough. Yeah. So then, yeah, then the last two would be uh, lust... Mm-hmm, for eight, which is not a sexual lust. It could be, but it's not that a secondary or third, mm-hmm. third dairy, tertiary, tertiary. Yeah, <laughs> words. So. Yeah, uh, lust is more about an intensity. Mm. You kind of see this directness, this this uh, aliveness, this uh, this sort of pushing and forcing. Yeah, but it's intensity. That's how the yeah. the heart shows up for the the for the eight. Uh, when they're when it's obscured, and then the, finally the the last one is the nine, the sloth, which is a, another fun old word. These are kind of based in the deadly sins, yeah. You know, from the desert fathers, the monastics. But sloth is is not laziness as much as it's an unwillingness to rise to the fullness of who I am, my vitality, mm-hmm. my liveness. Sort of a desire to be unaffected. I'm resisting being affected, mm-hmm. actually. So when you add um, the passion. Uh, to the instinct, you get the subtype. Um, Got it. So it's important to then recognize that you can't just look at the instincts, I think, to figure out your subtype because the instincts don't get expressed the exact same way. Yeah, so being self-preservation or one-to-one or social is going to look seven different, will look different than for every number. So Absolutely. you need to look at where... So for me, where does gluttony meet self-preservation behaviors and motivations one-to-one sexual behavior motivations and social sexual social behavior motivations, put those together, and that's where I really find which one I am. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, so we have a dominant instinct, and uh, it's the place that we put the most value. So then our type is how we go satisfying those values. Mm, okay. Or you could say, I think this, this language is helpful, that sloth for the nine gets acted out or expressed through self-preservation, social, or uh, sexual. So I resist being affected through my dominant instinct. Resisting being affected for the nine can look like merging or mm. fusing with my one-to-one relationship so I forget. I, we, we're basically the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, I lose myself in whatever instinct is my dominant one. Or I lose myself, I merge or I fuse with um, self-preservation needs. I'm basically not present. I'm, I'm losing myself within yeah. Well, my well-being and my physicality and all those kind of things, you know, or my social group, my social standing. Mm-hmm. I promote and I go along with and I help figure out this the, what's important to the group. Yeah, okay. And I do that by forgetting myself. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so makes what sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're deep talking. We're thinking. This it's, is a it's this really is an tricky. academic level. It's deep. But that's why I wanted you because I yeah. I think I like when we talk like this about the Enneagram. I appreciate it. Tell me why it matters that we sort that out. Who cares? Yeah. Why does it matter? Well, I've heard it said from a 
uh, from a, a friend of mine who's a brilliant teacher. He uh, he lives in Maui now, which is awesome. That's a nice life. He uh, he says that the instincts are more dominant and more unconscious than your number. Oh wow, that they have so, more power mm-hmm. even than your number does. Yeah, I, I heard from Beatrice Chestnut one time that if you think of sort of you know the centers of intelligence, thinking, feeling, and acting. Mm-hmm. We ha- there's sort of a reaction time or, or response time to each one of those. So yeah. something happens, and th- on a thinking level, that's let's just say X speed. We process emotionally ten times faster than we think, okay. and we process instinctively a hundred times faster. Oh wow! So it's to the point that we're not aware of it. It's yeah. our our instincts, our our uh, body intelligence. Yeah, um, is so fast. Your body keeps the score, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. You touch something and your body's moving away before you realize what just happened. Yes, it, yes. You're, you're you're so fast with that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I like to think of these as EQ, emotional intelligence, um, IQ with the mind, and uh, GQ, gut intelligence. Gut intelligence. Yeah. Okay. I was like, yeah. GQ, like the magazine. They, Are you GQ, you're yes. a model. Yes. They um, each have an intelligence that we need, you know. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, Seth. That's good. Is that what you want to say about subtypes? Do you have any more in your heart? Oh, uh, we should probably move on. <laughs> I just want to make, I don't want to rush you out of that. No, this, I, yeah, I know that can be a lot. So. No, this is good. I, w- I would go to Beatrice Chestnut. Okay. Or r- r- uh, John Luckovich. He can be a little interesting. If you like interesting, he's a four with a five wing. Uh-huh. These are some of, like Beatrice is kind of known as the subtypes queen. Okay. Okay. So. Good. That's good to know. I've never read her stuff. I mean, I seen it but i haven't like sat with it or mario sakura okay he's an interesting dude he does enneagram in business yeah and he's got a different take on the instincts he actually talks about them more as verbs the nouns oh, because they're not who we are they're what we do and that's where the problem becomes mm-hmm. that's when it becomes a problem is when we think they are who we are okay, i am my a, body yeah right i am my group yes and when i'm not oh no and that's when actually the passion is actually the emotional reaction that manages yes. Me yes. thinking I am my body, I am. This is really a good segue because one of the questions we've gotten a lot, so I got initially, I got some pretty nasty pushback. Yeah. <laughs> Probably some of the most unkind people saying things. I don't know about the people. I don't know if they're unkind, but mm. some of the most unkind things were said to me about talking about the Enneagram. Okay. And on two fronts. One was, this is not Christian at all, mm. and this is dangerous. Yeah. The other side, and so you, I'd love for you to address that a little bit about where faith meets Enneagram, uh, where the Christian faith meets Enneagram. Sure. And then the other one, this is the exact question that I think would be interesting to hear you. Part two of that is how do we as Christians use this as the tool it was intended to be and not use it as our identity? That's what may, that's when Christians push back on me. And I often have people say, it's like, oh, I, I, the Enneagram is just who now that's who people think they are. Right. So, a, part A, why is the Enneagram not demonic? <laughs> part B, how do we make it, how do we make sure we keep it in its proper place in our faith life? Yeah, so um, I'm sure people will disagree with me on this, but I think anything created is inherently good in the okay. first place. I think you look at Genesis, God created all things and said they were, were good, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I tend to think that Anything good gets distorted, and so I I think you can you can use the enneagram for selfishness for for uh, evil. You can use the enneagram to limit people and to uh, appeal to their ego and to mm. hurt them and harm other people and limit them. And you can do all these things with it, just like you can with anything else created. Yes. I think same with music. Yeah, exactly. There could be worship music that worships God and m- music that worships the enemy. 
Yeah, and I and I just think it's it's not the music that's actually the problem. It's the person right. that has freedom that tends to distort it because they're not that mature. Got it. And so, you know, the Enneagram, um, there is a lot of roots within um, the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, the passions are absolutely, you know, these are from the early desert fathers and the monastics. And But I tend to think that the Enneagram is more, it's not so much caught up or claimed by one specific religion, I think. I think it's actually more human than it is Christian mm. or wherever else because yeah. because if, you, if there's actually neuroscience now, modern affective neuroscience that's come out to sort of actually prove that the centers of intelligence are a real thing. Yeah. Um, there is um, sort of these adverse reactions that we have in response to not getting sort of the three basic needs met in ah, childhood. Sure, right. Yeah. And this is across uh, all mammals, but absolutely for humans, it's like there is this response of fear that happens when danger mm. happens, you know? Mm. Um, and that's, you do that through the mental center of intelligence. And there is a distress and panic that happen when you're not able to connect and bond yeah. and find relationship. And, uh, that is from the heart center, yeah. you know? Um, and then there is anger and rage. That's the adverse reaction to when somebody's pushing you around or, or your self-worth is being called into question. It's the thing that tells you I am a part of the world and I have something to do here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's about self-worth. And I think what we're called to is wholeness. And I think what we're called to is uh, what St. Irenaeus said is the glory of God as man fully alive. And right. I think what that looks like is engaging in what it means to be a human being and allowing all three of my centers to communicate with each other so that I'm not putting too much weight on one, which is what we all tend to do, and distorting it, you know, so. Right. So it's not Christian or not Christian necessarily. Yeah, there's there's roots that sort of uh, influence the language and some of the the teaching, but yeah. yeah, But how we use it. That's what I love about Beth McCord stuff is mm -hmm. she's going like, Here's the Enneagram with the gospel. One of my yeah, favorite quotes totally. of hers is the Enneagram brings, oh, I'm going to mess this up. Do you know this quote of hers? The Enneagram brings not information. Hold on, let me think. Let me think on it for just a second. But the gospel brings transformation. Mm. Yeah. The Enneagram brings the knowledge you need and the information you need. I'm, we're going to have to quote her correctly. But the Enneagram brings all that to you, but mm-hmm. the gospel is what brings transformation. Totally to you yeah um so how do we not make it our identity how do we put it in its proper place in our lives um well <laughs> i was looking at the question and i thought the problem is that i think we already uh do cross the line into using it as our identity mm. that's i do i have to make sure i yeah I do. yeah i mean I, I guess when i answer this in two different ways but these are in my opinion unconscious cognitive biases that's what these numbers are. Uh-huh. So cognitive bias is, in my description of it, would be like if there's a space or emptiness, my brain fills in with that space with what's familiar and comfortable mm. and filters out what doesn't align with what is what I'm after for my safety and security and what's important to me. Sure. And this all happens on a level that I am not aware that, of. That we aren't planning or not planning. Yeah. yeah. So whether I am identified with my number or not, that's the problem is it's becoming awake to that. Mm. Or that's the, the mm. not the problem, but the, the thing we need to do. That's mm. the thing it, it helps us with. So yeah, the, I mean, the Enneagram helps us wake up to the fact that we don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. 
Um, oh brother, we don't see the world the way it is. We see the. I mean, that's the yeah. That's the nine different shades of glasses. Yes. That, yeah. That we don't necessarily see the world for what it is. We see it through who we are. Yeah. 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 Um, but to address, I think maybe some of the, the actual point of the question there um, was, you know, I, th- I think. It sounds like she's talking about, or she, I don't know why I said she, maybe it's a he, but misusing the Enneagram, right? You know, and I think that is done by labeling people and limit, limiting them. You know, Russ Hudson, we've talked about him. He says the Enneagram is not about, it's not a filing system for people. It's if you don't know how to use the Enneagram, like we've been talking about, if you take this amazing, powerful tool and don't know how to use it, you do limit people. You do yeah. distort people. Yeah. You do put them in boxes, which is not what this is for. It's to help you see what box you're in and how to get out of it, right? Right. One of my favorite quotes from a guy named Tom Condon, uh, he says, if you don't keep reminding yourself of the difference between Enneagram type and a person, you will be deluded by the material and you'll think you have people in a nutshell, but all you have are nutshells. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. really good. It's making sure we're separating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think about Hudson changing his number after two years. Cause if right. I just was like, well, Sessa nine, Sessa nine, th- that's why he's doing this. That's it. And then two years later you go, Hey, I'm a three. Yeah. And I go, Oh, I thought yeah. all those things you did were because you're a nine. So it's more, and, and you're the one who taught me this the most in our real life friendship of like, do not type other people. Mm-hmm. And in fact, don't even necessarily worry about their type yeah. all that much. Worry about you Yeah. and take care of you and be the healthiest version of you. Yep. Um, one of the questions that I would love for you to talk about is, this is the exact question. Everyone talks about being healthy in your number if you're doing the work. Mm. My question is, how do we do the work? What is the work? So what is it, Seth? What is the work of being the healthiest version of you along with your Enneagram number? This is a great question. Uh, and I'll, I'll take a few minutes extra probably yeah, to, to answer this because I think this is one of the this most the important questions yeah, that's, right. that's been answer- or I asked. I think it's important because... The main point of the Enneagram Mm -hmm. is for self-awareness, compassion, understanding, uh, which ultimately leads to transformation. And I think if you don't have those things, Mm -hmm. you don't have the Enneagram. If you're just limiting people and putting them in boxes, stopping there is dumb. Yeah, just call them animals. Just do it. There's 50 other ways to label people and put them in boxes. Totally. Right. Um, A newer friend of mine named Evan Barbie, she says that the Enneagram is not an outer label or identification. It's about an inner practice. Okay. Um, That's good. So what is the work? How do we do it? One way to answer this is is uh, by quoting another dude. I like to quote people. Uh, he's oh, an Aus- yeah. Austrian neurologist, psychologist. He was a Holocaust survivor. Um, you've probably heard of him, Viktor Frankl. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, one of the most amazing quotes ever. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Lies our growth and our freedom in yeah. response. Okay. I'll say it again. So between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. That yeah. space between what just happened to me and how I respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. So the work is about cultivating... Mm a practice of self-observation. Mm. Like I said before, paying attention to what you pay attention to so that we can see how this inherent gift that our type is based in becomes compulsive when it's motivated by fear. Yeah. Yeah. So the work or the traveling of the map, I would say that Ooh. is the Enneagram, 
uh, looks like becoming more responsive and less reactive. And I think we do this by turning off autopilot and bringing this, I don't know, sort of light of awareness, if you will, to how we habitually react mentally, emotionally, and, and even physically, actually. Mm. We, it's pretty amazing how we physically show up because of our, our type patterns. Yeah. But when, when we can interrupt our unconscious habits, uh, we can choose different ones that might be more appropriate for the moment. And that's where the transformation is, sort of this interrupting the natural sort of reactions that we've been accustomed to our whole lives, yeah, yeah. you know, and there's, there's sort of a difference between uh, structure and content mm. and structure is the thing that most people aren't able to recognize or become aware of because it's sort of the fish in the water analogy. You can't tell a fish it's in water because it's been in water its whole life. What's water? Right. You know? Right. So it's interrupting the fact that uh, these, this is the way I've seen the world my whole life, but man, I want to wake up to the fact that I've, and a lot of times, especially in stress and when I'm not present, I see one-ninth of reality. Yes. That's not cool. That's not enough. It's <laughs> yeah. not enough, yeah. 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 That's really good. One of the, I want you to say some more of that, but one of the questions was, hey, Annie, now that you have watched your number ebb and flow and you've changed as a seven over yeah. your life, what would you say to your younger self? Yeah. And honestly, it would be pay attention. I wouldn't even go back and correct her necessarily. I would just say, pay attention to how you respond to things. Mm. Because once you pay attention and once you, so I guess I would tell her to be self-aware. Like mm. I'd tell 20 year old Annie yeah. to get self-aware. Cause once you pay attention to your responses, you go, whoa, why do I always answer like that to her? Right. And why am I always doing mm. this on Saturday? Yeah. And, and then you go, oh, I bet this isn't healthy. Yeah. Oh, I should maybe talk to someone yep. because I keep doing this. And now that I see it, and so now in my mm. adultness and mm -hmm. in my continued path toward health, so a healthier Annie than I was 10 years ago or five years ago, mm -hmm. I go, oh, I know why I'm doing this. Yeah. I Here's what I, here's the feeling under why I'm doing this. Oh, yep. here's why I can't quit watching TV mm. and I won't get up. I'm afraid of something. Totally. And so I'm gluttoning. Yeah. So it doesn't even mean I have to change my behavior. I don't yeah. even force myself to stop doing the thing. I just yeah. go, hey, do you know why you're doing this? Yep. Because intrinsically you have a fear of something here yeah I mean, so there's this there's this idea of the vice and the virtue that's kind of the monastic tradition in christianity you can convert your vice to virtue mm. so and you do that by bringing presence to your pattern so what's the vice for the seven gluttony what's the uh, virtue of the seven sobriety uh will you go through what's the nine virtues can you do that sorry i, can, I, can I know do, you can i can do that i just didn't prep you with that yeah so the the ones, I guess we just want to start from one to nine. Sure, yeah. however you want. Uh, so, I mean, the the one uh, passion is anger, more accurately described as resentment, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and the virtue for the one is serenity. Mm. Um, and that, that tends to look like your uh, security number, the actual Oh, yeah, we're going to go there next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but one thing I, I, I think this is a cool way to say it is that ones can practice serenity in order to be free from resentment. Ah, uh, so your number can practice your virtue to the be free yeah. of your vice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a way to wow. help you kind of wake up to it for one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Twos. Uh, two's passion is pride. Right. And it's, uh, these words are also old, you know, so it's, it's kind of hard to tease them out, but pride is, um, it's this, uh, I don't have any of my own needs. I have pride that I can always kind of give of myself to you. Uh -huh. And so the virtue is humility. These are, you know, these are kind of just what's the opposite of that. 
That's what they, they tend ah, to look okay. like. Okay. But yeah, but twos can practice humility in order to be free from pride. Okay. It makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, humility just for the for the two looks like um, recognizing their own their own needs and their own wants and their own desires and not sacrificing those in order to get love, you know. Right. Um, because that's where resentment tends to show up for the two is when they've given of themselves for so long and they've been expecting other people to return, but they've trained other people that all I to. do for you, you know. Yeah. 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 So um, for the three, the passion is deceit. And it's not straight up lying. It's it's actually a sort of a, I'm not aware that I've convinced myself that I am this role that I'm playing in order to adapt to my environment to accomplish goals and, and to get love, really. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's what's driving it is, I don't know if I have value or not. Oh, wow. And so I need to produce things to prove to you I have value. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the, uh, the virtue for the three is truthfulness or authenticity. Ah, uh, so, so for a three to practice authenticity. Yeah. Helps defeat that. Okay. Yeah. But again, it's it's being able to be present enough to recognize if you're playing roles, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's important to go in to look at the passions and the virtues and the, the fixations, which is the sort of the other side of, if the passion is the obscured heart, the fixation is the obscured mind. Mm-hmm. And the redeemed mind or the unobscured mind is what's called the holy idea. Yeah. And we're not going to get into that because that's crazy. Yeah, we can, yeah, yeah, you can Google that and keep uh, reading that. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Fours. Uh, for the fours, uh, the passion is envy. Okay. And it's uh, it tends to be this, I mean, it's, it's, that one's an easier one, I think. It, it sounds yeah. like what it is yeah. for the most part. But the virtue for uh, for fours is equanimity. That's the fun word here. Uh-huh. Equanimity is actually just sort of a balancing of emotion. Fours tend to be identified with their emotion as who they are. And so intensity of emotion is pretty big to them because that's their sense of self. Mm. Uh, and so I need to bolster my emotions and make them bigger than they actually are uh, in order to know I, who I am sometimes. Right. Um, and that can look like upwards or downwards, you know. Got it. Um, but equanimity is balancing. It's a, it's a equaling. I don't know if that's where that word comes sure. from. But uh, um, it's just sort of a balancing of emotion, okay. more authentically allowing myself to experience What's happening and not when envy is happening is when I'm experiencing myself maybe as less than. Mm -hmm. And so I need to um, bolster my sense of self. Yeah, that that makes sense. In that experience, yeah. So fours can practice equanimity in order to be free from chronic disappointment, a.k.a. melancholy. Yeah, and envy. Okay, fives. The passion for the five is avarice, uh, which looks like a withholding of themselves um, because there's sort of a scarcity mindset. And if I was, sometimes it's if I was to ask for things, you know, I might create some sort of dependency and then they'll ask something of me that I'm worried I don't have enough of already myself. That's the obscured heart Mm -hmm. of the five. That's Mm -hmm. sort of when I'm believing the lie that I am deficient in some way and I don't don't have everything I need. So the virtue of the the five is what's usually called uh, non-attachment. And I think that is uh, non-attachment to that idea, really, that I'm limited. Really, when your heart is connected, you're in contact with other people and you're realizing actually there's this connectedness between you and me when we're, I'm operating from my heart center yeah. um, that I do, I'm able to give. There's a generosity. Yeah, generosity. I like to yeah. think of it as like a, uh, the little heart connected to the big heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little mind connected to the big mind. Yeah. If I can practice faith and trust that I'm and remember that I'm actually connected to mm. the big heart, mm-hmm. There's some generosity, yeah. Because that there's endless generosity there, right? Yes. When we are in in yes. Christ, when we remember that. So fives, 
can when fives connect to the generosity, they're yeah. like a deeper generosity. It can fight against the avarice. Yeah, it's sort of going against what would normally feel natural or comfortable yeah. to find out. Oh my gosh, I do have what I yeah. didn't think I did. Look, I'm but it's fine. it's practicing faith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, sixes. Uh, sixes passion is fear, and I think it's more accurately anxiety. Mm-hmm. And some of these questions, this might answer some of the questions that people had. I think it's really important to decipher the difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is about what's actually happening in front of you mm. uh, that you should be worried about. Yeah. Uh, not even worried. Uh, that's another anxious uh, word. But anxiety is the impairment of fear. Anxiety is about possible future events that right. could happen. Right. And that's where sixes' minds tend to go. Oh, uh, yeah. That, and that, they were... In that show, it was amazing how yeah. deep their minds go into things that have never happened. Yeah, that feels real, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not. And so, so deciphering their... the difference between that's important. But the the virtue for the six, uh, what's the opposite of fear? It's courage. Ah, oh, so courage. Yeah, if they just practice courage. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff is actually not all. A lot of it, all of it is. This is actually what is true of you. This is inherently a part of your capacity mm. when your little heart's connected to the big heart. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like that language. I like that too. Uh, so courage. Uh, sixes can practice courage in order to be free from fear. Yeah. Okay. Sevens. What? What uh, do I need to practice? Sevens. Uh, the passion for the seven is gluttony. Which you said earlier, which is awesome. It's just this insatiable need for more mm-hmm. to fill myself up, and it's never enough. Again, that's the obscured it's heart. Never enough. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's my frustrating thing is you can't describe a seven only in their distortedness. Mm-hmm. You can also describe it a seven when their little heart's connected to the big heart. Yeah. That's and the right. little mind to the big mind. You know. Yeah. Um, and that looks like um, sobriety, and that looks mm-hmm. like sort of this what do we practice for lent we practice restraint yeah and there's a wisdom there Maybe that's why i love lent so much yeah is because it's this major practice yeah. of the opposite of what i've done my whole life yeah yeah totally huh. okay yeah it's appropriately using things as you need them uh-huh uh-huh there's no longer this hole there that you're trying to fill up yes yeah because yeah. of the of, tr- of practicing yeah. uh, some level of trust yeah okay so eight yeah uh, eights, the passion is lust. And again, it's not a sexual lust. Um, it's uh, it's more um, intensity, and it's me pushing this intense uh, experience because mm. it feels like there's not enough here of intensity, and mm-hmm. I, I need to be that for this moment. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't feel alive, actually. Right. So the the virtue for the, for the eight is innocence. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So they just have to check back into the purity of the experience, the purity of the person, and believing the best. Is that kind of what that means? Yeah. I mean, trusting that they're... Are you talking about themselves or other people? Sorry. Yes. I mean, yes. I would think checking into themselves, that version of them that they knew, and believing that about others. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the basic premises of the Enneagram that I don't think is unfortunately very known is that we each have this, our souls have this kind of sensitivity to one of the divine characteristics. Strength and power is for the eight. Mm. And when I feel like I don't have that or that's, 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 that's me at my truest. Yeah. When I feel like I don't have that. I have, that's what I have to force into the world. Yeah. And so I lose some level of innocence because the distorted version of power and strength yeah. is, well, I can't be weak. Right. I'm not allowed to be weak. But vulnerability and innocence isn't weak. Yeah. Weak in parentheses for people listening. 
Yeah. I did a parenthesis. You did. You did a quotation. One of them. Quote, oh, that's what I meant. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We're not putting anything in parentheses. <laughs> Even in quotes. Yeah. Quotes. We, yeah. yeah. I heard an eight say the other day. I mean, he was joking, but he was like, yeah, there's no betas in my house, only alphas. Ooh. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> you're such an eight. I mean, that's a great way to surround yourself with what's for what's comfortable, uh-huh. what feels uh-huh. normal and right. Right. You can practice. The eights practice is practicing innocence. Okay. And vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about a nine? What's your practice? Oh, they got it made. Not, <laughs> not really. Uh, sloth is the uh, the passion for the nine, which I mentioned earlier. It's not laziness. It's an unwillingness to rise to the full vitality of of my capability, my capacity. It's yeah. a it's a lack of engagement and a lack of showing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a desire to be unaffected and and resist being affected. It's weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> I experience it a lot. I mean, I have a lot of nines in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it shows itself so fascinatingly in mm-hmm. even emotionally and mentally, but the virtue for the, for the nine, what was the opposite of, of kind of action? Would it be some sort of mm-hmm. action word? Yep. Yep. Uh, sometimes it's called right action. Uh, I like the term engagement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a tattoo. Yeah. I think. Are you? Uh, I want to, I've got all these ideas. I just, uh, Yeah. Whereas I go to New York and sit down and get one. Oh, yeah, I want to right. see that. <laughs> I get one right That's away. That's amazing. But, yeah, so I get it. I love that. The engagement of I, I have this idea. Yeah. You've got to roll the ball down the hill. Yes. Nine. Yeah. Yes. And so the uh, one of the reasons I like us taking time to look at all nine of those specifically is when someone says, what, what is the work I need to do to be healthy? Mm. We would say counseling, prayer, uh, connecting with your people, being self-aware, and also for your specific number, go after that virtue. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think uh, that virtue is is kind of there already in a way. It's already in you. Yeah. You yeah, kind of can't nice of you, you kind of can't force it. I mean, I think spirituality is more about subtraction than addition. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the false self is kind of more addition stuff, adding Got things it. to your plate. Got it. Okay. Like it's, it's the, I like the analogy of uh, the, uh, what was that big ship? That's famous for being so massive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's that the big? Titanic. I was like, I've got two choices: the Titanic or the Ark. I don't know which <laughs> way he's going. <laughs> I like the analogy, analogy of the uh, the Titanic. There's no point in kind of uh, adding to your plate these you can add the virtues and it mm-hmm. looks like you're doing something but it's the analogy is that you're just moving around the deck chairs on the titanic ah, so right, it looks right, like right, you're doing right, something and the ego right. is you're even convincing the ego that any change in movement looks like you're growing or mm-hmm. whatever but mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. the ship's still going down right right so I'm, i mean i think um i love dallas willard's quote of what grace is grace is not opposed to effort it's opposed to earning mm. And so I think grace and allowing these uh, virtues to come forward are right. about you positioning yourself. And it's about, that's why surrender is such an important thing. It's okay. opening yourself up to kind of join with what God is already doing, right? So doing the work, I mean, that's what we learned at that's, Onsite. That's Onsite doing the work. is trust Trusting the process. the process, yeah. You have to trust the process. I mean, yesterday my counselor was like, yeah, this is all great mm-hmm. and terrible. And we have to trust, just trust the process. And yeah. I was like, no, 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 I want you to tell me what to do. Yeah. And you yeah. just can't, there isn't. We trust the process. Yeah. But also when I'm, it's that thing you said earlier of between the situation happening and me responding. Totally. I, as a seven, I either get to respond in gluttony or sobriety. Mm. Yep. 
the actual behavior matters less to me than me being aware that I have that choice and I made that choice. Mm. Nothing is forced upon me. I am choosing yeah. to handle this with gluttony or to handle with this with sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe maybe an encouragement would be for every number to grab those two words and dig into those two words as mm. you've learned your number. Yeah. And say like, okay, in this situation, after this mm. thing happened, before I responded, am I self aware enough to realize I'm picking courage or anxiety? Mm-hmm. Or I am picking action or sloth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That would be a growth in work, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I do think that, like we said earlier, the, the work is partnering some practice of presence with what the information of the, the Enneagram gives you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These, uh, the map, I think, is like the stuff like your passion. When you can become awake to you're in your passion right now, Yeah. well, then I know that now. Let's do something about it. Now let's you do something about it. You can presence it. Yeah. Um, and uh, find some transformation, I think. Yeah. You and can, I think the beautiful yeah. thing that I want our friends to hear is like, you've got time. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to be a totally different human tomorrow. Yeah. You can, I mean, there is radical transformation in lives all the time through the gospel where you're one thing one day and you're set free and you're something different the next day. And that's fine totally. and good. Yeah. But also in this, as you become more self aware, you give yourself grace that you've got some time mm. to work out getting, I mean, I've been getting emotionally, mentally healthy. Since 2013, it has not been a short, and I've got a long way to go, but just give yourself grace to take time to get healthier. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it as like we physically work out. How long does that take before we see results? I I, I think it's similar to, you know, emotionally and mentally. That's right. It's a long term. Okay. Let's do some, some quick, some quick hit ones I think are fun. Yep. Does birth order affect your number? (laughs) Um, I have not seen a single thing that speaks to that no i don't think so no is it possible to switch numbers during your lifetime due to a traumatic event or experience um the majority of the the thinking out there is no okay um all of the behaviors of the type of each type you can you can see over a lifetime right but this is about motivation again so Mm. russ hudson i'll quote him he said that most uh, major teachers feel uh the type is largely if not entirely biological Ah, okay. We're actually born into it. That's and what Suzanne Stabile says. Yeah, and it, and it's related to the psychological concept of temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, so any type can be traumatized, but our type determines how we cope with mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to think trauma doesn't change our number, but behavior can change again. But right. maybe even actually personality can change. I, I don't know. But I, I I tend to think more that your Enneagram filter, it's a filter that, that kind of thickens and more solidifies maybe. Mm, okay. Um, but that your Enneagram type is actually more of a filter underneath personality. Yeah. Uh, so there's 6.9 billion people in the world, right? right. I, I counted them. Yeah, that, was, that took you a long time. Yeah, I just got here in time. But got, yeah, you, um, you were on time. Yeah, but like like the, that quote from Russ Hudson, there's studies that show now that there's nine temperaments we're born with that I think those 6.9 billion personalities get filtered through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's some of the confusion, I think, that people, when you take personality and Enneagram type and you mix them, well, then there's the stereotypes. Right, there you go. You've got right. 6.9 different personalities that can filter Billion through nine. Billion personalities, yes. yeah, that, that can filter through nine pairs of glasses. Yep, yeah. there you go. Yeah, it is just as if you lined up all the nines, how different they look as people. Yeah, yeah. Like, they aren't all twins. All mm-hmm. of y'all don't look the same. Yeah. The Sunny and I Jason. I do have a twin, that were, yes. yeah, yeah, that is true. That is, yes. And so does Jenna, my assistant, oh, no who's way. also a nine. She also has a twin. <laughs> I felt weird. it. I knew it. Sunny and Jason did it. But the four nines that we know on the show 
all four of you look very different mm-hmm. and all have different lives, but you all have the same pair of glasses on. That's about it. Okay. Yep. Which number? So, which number do you think would perform best on Survivor? Oh, is my one of the goodness. questions. <laughs> um, that's an awesome question. Someone we did, we did a whole thing on Twitter this week as well about how each number would do in Hunger Games, and it was hysterical. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I saw something on Twitter. Maybe it was actually related to that. That in the fu- the future looks like being put into nine districts. Yes, that's what it was. And then all these people started playing off oh, of it. Oh my! And gosh. they were like, I was like, the sevens wouldn't be helpful at all. And someone's like. You know where the sevens would be in the capital, eating and then throwing <laughs> up and then eating again. I was like, you're you're rude uh, and right. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Okay, who's gonna win Survivor? Oh, I don't think it's about Enneagram number as much as it's about the instinct. Oh, really? So you think all yes. the ones through nines could survive, but it's all gonna be the self-preservation ones. Well, self-preservation, but but that shows also about how you're playing to the, yeah. the social. So who do you think's arena. winning? I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but who wins with the depending on the the instinct? Goodness. I mean, it's. I think it's about the people that are there. What are the different combinations you've got? This is that's this so is, hard. This is not Who your knows? timing. That would be fun question. to watch, though. Yeah, yeah. And see, that's because of that. Yeah, it's amazing. That's right. I could maybe p- picture like if I could figure it out in the beginning. That's who's going to win. Yes. Because I know that's what... Maybe yeah. that's what we should ask Survivor to do and like Bachelor to do. Everybody on reality shows has to start giving us their. Enneagram number, their dominant <laughs> wing, and their subtype. And then we get to watch. Oh, uh, yes. The way I want to play who's going to win Survivor is, well, ones mm. are going to do this, and twos yes. are going to do this. Yeah. But we won't do that to people. Because that's not the way you like to type, but that's how I like to play. <laughs> but I won't do that. Which Enneagram number is the most popular? Are there is there one that's the most on the planet? Um, there are theories and ideas that there's more sixes and nines. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you figure that out. I think that's based on sort of sixes can be, you know, follow the group mm-hmm, uh, for, mm-hmm. for security and safety mm-hmm. and look to authority. So big uh, changes in the world happen because there's more sixes. And so uh. we kind of all go along with authority. Uh, that's that's a theory. That's an idea. I don't know how we could figure that out unless, to my knowledge, there has not been some worldwide study of figuring out your Enneagram type. Uh, so I don't, I think it's a theory. I don't think there's... To my understanding, I don't know if there would be more numbers right? Uh, or we, not. We just, yeah. Some people think there's less fours or fives, um, but that would just appeal to the four and five ego. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's just telling them what they want to hear. Yeah. What's the most unique, the well, unique number? Well, fours are. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, everyone's unique. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. fours. That's, yeah. That's exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. Oh, I like this question. Could Jesus Christ, the oh, perfect no. son of God made flesh, have an Enneagram number? I mean, this is a theological question, really. You're also a pastor. Yeah. So, but I'm an untrained one. I I read (laughs) books. I read books. I didn't do the seminary thing. Is what I mean. Nor I. Um, Yet we keep talking about it. Yeah. Say it again. Was Jesus? Could Jesus Christ, the the perfect Son of God, made flesh, have an enneagram number? Well, in that uh, language, the made flesh. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're ta- that person maybe sounds like they're leaning towards the human, the humanity part, mm-hmm. um, not leaning over the divinity part, but um, but noticing the human. Yeah, part, if yeah. he was fully human and fully divine, uh, he had both those things, those things going on. That's an amazing combination. But I would wonder if that wouldn't make sense if he was mm-hmm. fully human. Well, then why why wouldn't he? I mean, he had a personality. He has a personality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he showed anger. He mm-hmm. showed all these different emotions. Yeah. So, to me, there's a good chance. Yeah. 
But I like to think he's probably, I mean, I think God, just like we are all made, in, if we are all made in the image of God, mm-hmm. he must be all. Yeah. All the virtues. Yeah. He has all, he holds all the virtues. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of the, my favorite parts of Enneagram is we can mm-hmm. see in each other the best things of God. Yeah. And the best things of humans. Yep. Based on going like, man, when I see a six being brave, I'm like, mm. that that's next level. Because that's I who know. you truly are. Yes. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. I see y'all, when I see nines like mm. going and doing and motivated, I'm like, man, yeah. that is, that is, that looks like God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Seth. So there's a lot of questions that we didn't get to. There mm-hmm. are, we got hundreds of questions. Yeah. I, I think we covered most of the big um, chunks of. Mm-hmm what people talked about, but I thought this one was really interesting. If you can give a quick thought on this in regards to grief or loss, Mm. is there a way to help each type know how to navigate that healthfully? Is there, is there specific things each type needs to do in grief or loss? For time's sake, I'm not going to go through the whole, the gambit thing here, but I would say uh, it could be about looking at, I think the numbers are basically management systems for your dominant emotion. Okay. And so when grief is happening, there's a good chance uh, your your dominant emotion of sadness uh, or of anger or fear is maybe on overdrive mm. and it's pretty distorted. You know, that I mean, that tends to be how... That does happen to me. Yeah. That tends to be how we manage our situations, yeah. you know? And so I'm maybe going to be even more gluttonous. Yes. I'm maybe even going to be more slothful. Mm. That is how it shows up for me. Um yeah. Yeah, in, in grief last year. I was about to say, but I will commend you in front of all these people. When your family went through a very grieving mm-hmm. season last year with a lot of loss, mm-hmm. you did not shut down. Yeah. You were really present for your family. Well, yeah, externally. Yeah. 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 It but was that still the shows weirdest... that you were trying. Yeah. Even if internally it didn't feel like that, externally, yeah. I was consistently impressed Yeah. with how, how well you... Um, you grieved, but also cared for your people. Yeah, thank you. I knew you. that wasn't thank natural you. and easy. I would wonder um, if if there's just an extreme version of your passion showing up. Because at least from my experience, when I went through that last year, um, the sloth, the way that it showed up for me was so... I had zero drive or ambition or desire mm. to do anything. Yeah. There was no part of me that longed for anything. Yeah. And it was just this, I didn't even have to resist being affected. I wasn't even able to be affected. Ah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I would, I would just looking at, look at the, uh, the way that maybe your dominant, um, that your center's dominant uh, emotion is maybe pr- probably out of, out of whack. And just a, a, a reminder, that's, that's uh, sloth is a, a, a variation on, on uh, anger. Mm. Resentment is a variation on anger. Lust is a variation on anger goes all the way around. So it's how you're dealing. Are they all anger? No, fear would be. Fear is gluttony five, is a six, seven. Variation on, gluttony is a variation on fear. Yeah. Avarice is a variation on fear. Mm-hmm. And so is anxiety, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And then the two, threes, and fours, two. Uh, pride is a variation of, of uh, sadness and shame. shame. Um, and, and panic and distress, yeah. Uh, Deceit. Deceit is very much so. Shame and pant. Yeah. 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 If I don't know I'm loved, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's deceit there. But uh, then the four is envy. You know, those are all just derivations or or takes on the dominant emotion in that center. 
So um, I would also say on that, without going through all the numbers, there is um, a book from, I don't know how you say your last name, but Elizabeth Wajeli, Wajel, Wiggle, sure. we'll, Wiggle. We'll link to it. We spell it for people in case they're writing. <laughs> yeah, it it's Elizabeth, like you would think, but with a Z. And uh, W A G E L E. And the book is called The Enneagram of Death. Mm. Uh, and it's and it's all about helpful insights for uh, grief and loss for oh, any wow. any styles. Yeah. And uh, I think it's like largely stories of just every number kind of going through grief. Yeah, man, that's really helpful. I would I would push people to that. Yeah. Seth, we've really done it today. You really went, you, you are like a professor because we didn't even hit, we, there's so many things we didn't hit about the Enneagram. This is what oh, fun. we didn't hit triads. Oh, I really wanted to, but yeah. We yeah. just, yeah. And so maybe totally. next time, maybe this is like any a summer 201 yeah. and next time we'll do 202 and you can do cool. um, triads and, and where people go in health and where people go in stress. I think yeah. that's really important too. Okay. Um, we just purely don't have time. So, yep. but where would you, you gave us some resources. Is there websites mm. people should read? Is there classes? I mean, I know Su- Suzanne Stabile has a great class people can go to. Mm-hmm. Are there other, Beth McCord, yeah. uh, Chris Hewart. So those are just some modern day writers yeah. that are doing some work around the Enneagram. Yeah. I mean, I think um, you can engage your head intelligence by reading a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can, you can purchase a book from any of those authors. Um, you can also kind of engage your heart and your body by going to see these people, yeah, because I think they all put on some, yeah, some uh, something. If you just search their name, I know they all put on a workshop yeah. of some kind. Something I really, really enjoy in Atlanta, which isn't too far from here for the Nashville folks. Yeah, there's a lady named Nan Henson who is one of like 60 people in the world certified by the Enneagram Institute, which oh, is wow. Russ Hudson. Yeah, um, and she's mind blowing. Okay, uh, and she does like she can float conferences. No, she can't float. I thought to be like, she can float? <laughs> so can Harris the third, but he's a magician. <laughs> well, any grand masters can do that as well. Okay. Yeah. We'll bring that I'm up next time yet. on New Year's. Yeah. Like, like he did magic tricks for us a few years ago. Um, yeah. Books. Okay. Uh, there's podcasts. There's good podcasts. Yeah. What do you now. listen to? Uh, there's one called Heart of the Enneagram. Okay. That's uh, taught by two people um, from the narrative tradition, which is Helen Palmer and David yeah. Daniels. Really, really cool stuff. I think that's why people liked Enneas Summer so much is it was narrative-driven. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You yeah. kind of get the actual experience of the type rather than just one person communicating it. Yes. Yeah, the behaviors, really. Right. Yeah. Okay, Books. Heart of the Enneagram. Any others you're listening to? Oh, Enneagram Panels. Enneagram Panels is the name of a show? Yeah, I think okay. if you search Enneagram Panels. I mean, if you just search Enneagram mm-hmm. uh, in the podcast land... You got to be careful because I do think there's actually some... There's a couple some, of ones that I really don't like. Yeah, I don't want to say their names. Yeah, really but. annoying stuff. There's some um, really inaccurate yes, stuff. Yes, yes. Some of it's just people like to talk and hear themselves talk, I think. Mm-hmm. And make up things. Uh, make up? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. So uh, it's tricky because it's hard to navigate that unless you know what you're doing. But mm-hmm. um, I think finding a coach is helpful, too. Yeah. Um, but again, I would just go back to the some of the basics mm-hmm. in these Enneagram books. Yeah. And everyone we've listed today, you would say mm-hmm. we can really trust yes. their education and their Yep. And that's I mean that's one of the reasons we have Beth McCord on every Enneagram summer episode is I super mm. love I think she's very knowledgeable on the Enneagram and I also mm. love that she adds in the gospel. Yeah. I yep. think that's a great combination. Yep. Okay, Seth, we did it. 
We really gave it to him today, buddy. Woo-hoo. You really came in with power and words. It was fun. It was really fun. You're great at this. Seth, if people want to follow you, where do you talk about Enneagram stuff? Where's the best place for them to keep up with you? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm open to maybe start something in the fall. I don't know what that'll look like yet. Oh, but cool. Yeah, we'll tell everybody. Yeah. Um, but you can email me uh, at uh, Seth. You mean this? I mean it. Okay. Yeah, you can email me. Uh, I might have to get a new email, but you can you can email me, honestly, <laughs> okay. at sethabrammusic at gmail.com. Okay. You're, that's your life. If you change your mind between now and when okay. it comes out. Um, <laughs> um, and or on, at sethabram on Instagram, I think, is my okay. handle. Or I post stuff on Twitter, too, if you want to follow yeah. me there. Yeah, I we'll link to all that, that is. in our show notes so yeah. people can find you. Cool. But you don't mind answering questions people email you. My home address is... Yeah, um, serious. That, that, that's about where I thought you were going to go. No, I was like, settle. You're very generous. Yeah. Well, you're generous with your thoughts, and you are not... You did not sloth us today. You came and brought your energy. I did. And your threeness. I had some engagement. Yeah, you really engaged. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I actually was thinking about that on the way in here. Um, you know, my lines of connection, mm-hmm. courage, six and value what do i have to contribute here Mm. that helps me with my right action with my engagement yeah that's kind of the wings or the lines i mean yeah that's one of the reasons when i started texting you you weren't responding i was like i'm gonna keep texting him because i know (laughs) i know what's happening here i need him to know that he's the expert i want Uh, that i value him that it's his voice see and this is the benefit this is the good thing of knowing the enneagram you're you need to keep trying for a little bit yeah because there was there's definitely some Oh my God, no. Right? I knew you were either super busy or it was a you mixture were both, talking yeah. to yourself in your head. And yeah. I was like, I'll just keep, until he says no, I'm going to keep asking. <laughs> so, um, all right, Seth, because the show's called That Sounds Fun. We always have to end like this. What sounds fun to you? Oh man, um, I haven't seen my kids as much lately because life has been in such transition. Yeah. So it honestly sounds like going to the pool with my kids oh, and just love to go letting loose. Yes. Your kids are so fun. They are. They are just two of the best. Yeah. yeah. Two of my favorite little mini BFFs. You've really done it. Thank you. Athen got a haircut last night. Oh, is it look awesome? Does he look so old? He does. Yeah. That's it's what happens cool. when really little ones get haircuts. It, yeah. you, all of a sudden they age up. Yep. Did you do the haircut? I did two trims and then the scissors were taken away. Oh, and then Sarah took over. Well, she was doing the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And then I was kind of giving my eye of. I don't know. Yeah, she's an Enneagram one, so yeah. she was ready to she finish was, it up. Yep. yep. <laughs> she did a good job. I love it. So just go in the pool with the kids. Um, yes, fun. and reading it. another Enneagram book. I'm always yeah. down for that. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the great things about following you on Instagram is oh, yeah. at night when yep. you when the kids are in bed and you start yep. reading, you start posting what you're reading, and I'm always like, yeah. order, order, order. I just <laughs> found some obscure one that looks super cool that I've never seen any any Enneagram book discuss or talk about. The content's oh. really cool. The one I posted recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Planted in Love or something. Yeah. I think it's actually from England or oh, somewhere. yeah. Because all, the, all the words are not spelled like we do in America. <laughs> you handle that nicely. It's not like we do versus wrong, which is right. <laughs> You're right. I had people, because my new tattoo says savor this, mm. I've had multiple British people be like, well, you did spell savor wrong, but because <laughs> they put a U in it. I respect that. All right. Anything we didn't talk about you want to talk about? Uh, let me see if this is a helpful thing to say. What about this quote, if I finish with a quote? End with a quote, Seth. Yeah, because I like that. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Hirschberger, she says, The Enneagram isn't the first thing. It's the second thing. Use when it's useful, but try not to put every behavior in a box. Everyone has fear. Everyone gets angry and sad. It's about autopilot attentional patterns. So observe them and observe the energy underneath them. 
Amen. Okay, do your brains need a break? I know. Does your brain feel tired? That was good. I had some real questions while we were listening to. There's some things I'm going to go research and learn more about, but I love that idea of the vice and the virtue for each number, making sure you have a hold of which one goes with the number you self-identify with and what it looks like to do the work of being healthy with that virtue. Hey, make sure you give Seth a follow on Instagram, Twitter. And as he said, you can email him sethabrammusic at gmail.com. That's Seth Abram, A-B-R-A-M, music at gmail.com. And he's also Seth Abram Music and Seth Abram on the internet, Instagram, Twitter, all the places you want to find him. Tell him thanks for being on the show and you're welcome to lob your questions at him and he will do his best to answer. Again, on my website, anniefdowns.com. Uh, will be all the links to all the books, all the podcasts, everything he referenced so that you can deep dive as much as you want to into the continued conversation with yourself and your people about the Enneagram and how the Enneagram matters to you and how it is shaping your life. As Seth said, I think it is. it continues to be incredibly important for us to remember that this is just a tool that I think is cool and has been very helpful in my life. And that's why we've been spending time on it this summer. But it is not the gospel. The Enneagram reveals things to you. The gospel is what transforms you, as what Beth McCord said. Will we do any of summer 2020? I think so. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we've got a good system of a couple of um, pillars through our year that we can circle back to the couples in February, next generation in January. And I think spending June on the Enneagram sounds fun to me. So that's probably what we will do. I don't know what that'll look like yet, but I am open for suggestions. Just email Seth Abram music at gmail.com. Hey, if you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, you really can't tell me all about it. F as in favorite, because today Seth Abram is my favorite Enneagram expert. I'm so thankful for him. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you may need me, that is how you can find me. And again, the list of all the resources we talked about, about the Enneagram, including all the books by our friends, including the ones that Seth referenced, and some of the podcasts will all be listed at AnnieFDowns.com. There is a tab that says podcast. And if you click that, you will see where it says any of summer 20, you'll be able to find the show. So if you're listening to this later, you may have to dig a little bit, but it is there. So don't you worry. We've got all these resources for you. If you know somebody who listened to the Ennea Summer series but hasn't stuck with us, you may want to let them know this show exists because it's answering so many of your questions and also gives you some resources. So make sure you share this with your people that you shared the Ennea Summer 2019 with. And I think that's it for me. You guys, go out and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. And we will see you back here on Monday with our new music for the fall and the musician, Mr. Drew Holcomb. We'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs>